kids, this is Bob Burrow from the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. What we are going to play for you tonight is uh, what I call our grab bag show number nine. Now what I do is I go in and grab shows out of my old time radio grab bag. These are shows that uh, would not normally be played on our podcast because they don't fit the categories. Because on Mondays we always play a comedy, on Tuesday we play a drama, Wednesday a mystery, and on Thursday we play a western. But these are none of those. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy them. Now, I don't put a lot of time on these. I don't uh, go in and listen to them and study them and and, uh, pay a lot of attention. So uh, you hear them the way I hear them. Now, I do try to go in and clean them up to make sure that they're good, clean, quality sound. And I think you're going to enjoy them. But I think just in preparing this today, the four shows I picked, four half-an-hour shows, I think are pretty unique, and I think you're going to enjoy them. So, have a listen. Okay, what we have coming up is an episode of Rogers of the Gazette, which was a CBS show. This one first aired on November 5th, 1953. It's entitled Gretchen March, Toast of Vienna. Now, Rogers of the Gazette featured Will Rogers Jr. Georgia Ellis played his assistant. This one also features Parley Bear, Virginia Gregg, Sammy Ogg, John Daner, and Vic Perrin. It was produced and directed by uh, Norm MacDonald, and this script tonight was written by Les Crutchfield. Ladies and gentlemen, the editor of the Illyria Weekly Gazette, Mr. Will Rogers, Jr. Thank you. You know, it's a funny thing. Almost anybody can sympathize with the sufferings of a friend. But it requires a very fine nature to sympathize with a friend's success. Rogers of the Gazette, offering you again tonight, transcribed, another heartwarming story of a country newspaper and its friendly editor, and starring Will Rogers, Jr. I'm Doc Clemens, a friend of Will's. You know, in a small town like Elyria, problems kind of act like the measles. You go along without any for a while, and then one case turns up, and the next thing you know, you've got them breaking out all over. Like with Will playing the cornet in the town band. <laughs> now, there was a problem, for Will at least. And it could have been a problem for the band if he'd actually tried to play that thing. But Will got out of it all right. And he figured that was the last he'd have to do with musical culture for a long time to come. Didn't work out that way, though. It wasn't more than a week later that Ed Hartley walked into the newspaper office. 
It was long about nine in the evening, and Will and Maggie Button were putting the paper to bed. Evening, Will. Miss Button. Oh, hi, Ed. Mr. Hartley. Out kind of late, Ed. Sarah put you in the doghouse? Oh, might as well have. Am I busting in on something, Will? No, we just finished checking the galley proof. About ready to lock up and go over to Peyton's drugstore for a cup of coffee. Coffee? Sounds good. Why don't you come along? Well, maybe I will. That's a fine thing. A man with a home and a family, and the only place he can get a minute's peace is at the corner drugstore. Well, at least they have good coffee. Maggie, we'll just leave everything right here on the desk. Find some spot in the morning for that piece about the rummage sale. All right, fine. Will, I always figured a man's home was his castle. Times change, Ed. Castles are kind of out of date. Practice, Sarah called. Practice. All it does is get worse, and it was pure torture to start with. Huh? Oh, it's that kid of mine, Eddie. Sarah's got him taking music lessons, learning the violin, as she puts it. Well, uh... A fine instrument. No, not the way he plays it. And every single night he's got to practice two hours of it right after dinner, driving me out of my mind. And the neighbors, too. First it was hints, now it's threats. Will, you got to help me do something about it. Well, now, uh, I don't know much about the violin, Ed. No, Will's more of a cornet virtuoso. Maggie? Hot lip Rogers, they call him. Maggie? If the kid had any ear for music, it'd be different. He don't know a note from a hole in the ground. Even Sarah realizes that. What she's really trying to do is help out this European refugee. European refugee? Well, this woman who's teaching him, Gretchen March, comes from Vienna or someplace. Not much income, needs the extra dough, Sarah says. Will, I'd rather give her the money. Gretchen March, I heard about her. It's supposed to be a fine musician. Now that she may be, but she can't do anything for Eddie. He's like me, more the first baseman type. Will, you got to help me, I tell you. Well, I'd like to, Ed, but I... If I have to listen to that kid play the scales off-key for another week, I won't be responsible. This is a most delightful surprise, Mr. Rogers. The editor of the newspaper, you say? Uh, Yes, I'm on. And you have come to make an interview. How charming. Oh, but please to come in. Thank you. Hope I'm not interrupting any. No, 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 not at all. This way, Mr. Rogers. I have a pupil who is studying the violin, but I am sure the one little interruption will not cause damage. Hiya, Mr. Rogers. Uh, Hiya, Eddie. How's it going? Ah, guess I won't never learn to play this crazy thing. My dear young man, this crazy thing is a violin. Yeah, I know, but why can't they put keys on it so you know where to put your fingers? Like a baseball mitt? Well, yeah. Oh, hey, did you see that game out of Beaver's Pasture Saturday? We sure showed them bums from Leedsville how to play. Please, now continue with your playing while Mr. Rogers and I talk for the moment. All right. But this sure ain't what I'd rather be doing. Now, uh, what was it you wished to know, Mr. Rogers? Well, uh, I thought the people in town might be interested in knowing more about you, Miss March. What you did in Vienna, your musical background... He is only learning. I certainly hope so. Uh, well, now, you see, most of us didn't realize that we had a pretty famous person living here in... Oh, heaven forgive me. In Vienna, I did not teach pupils such as this one. No, I don't imagine you did. Properly played, the violin is an instrument of exquisite beauty. Yes, I'm sure of it. It should be approached with 
Reverence and love, it should be held only by hands that have the music flowing from the very fingertips. Say it's not flowing too freely there. Mm, well, one must eat, I suppose. It doesn't seem to be getting the knack of it. Is it possible you are musically inclined, Mr. Rogers? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> not really. Did used to play the cornet, of course. Oh. No, but that was quite a while back in the high school band. Oh, how nice. Well, about the interview now. The third bar. It's never gone that far before. Oh. Thought he had it beat there for a second. He will never have it beat, Mr. Rogers. No, about the uh, Now, look, Miss March, this is probably even more painful for you than it is for me. Let's slip out to Peyton's drugstore and talk about it over a cup of coffee. What do you say? Morning, Will. Oh, hiya, Doc. Rest your feet. I'm finishing up an article. Well, doing your own typing now? Maggie's over at Bone Setters waiting for a photograph. Goes with the article. Let's see now. Fortunate in having in our town a lady of such great talent and international fame. It will. There's a rumor getting around. In this town, there's always a rumor getting around. This one's about you, though. That's happened before, too. Well? Well, what? The rumor. Oh, I didn't think you were interested. Well, you were seen. Seen? Yep. Three or four different people saw you. It's all over town. What's all over town? This new romance of yours? Romance? Gretchen March shouldn't have gone to Peyton's drugstore, not in broad daylight, not if you wanted to keep it quiet. Doc, for the oh, love it's of... it's all right, Will. I don't blame you a bit. These Europeans are pretty fascinating. So I hear. Now, maybe so, Of course, now... some of the boys over at the barbershop figure her being maybe 10 or 12 years older than you is not too good. But then, like I told them, she sure doesn't look it. Yeah, thanks, Doc. Nice of you to stick up for me. Well, I but... figured it was the least I could do. You wouldn't believe I was just interviewing her to get an article in the paper, would you? Well, I might. But I doubt if the boys at the barbershop would, though. Not even if they saw the article? There. That's it. Take a look. Run a half-page story with a two-column cut of Miss March? That ought to be enough to squelch the rumor. Well, I don't know, Will. Some of these adjectives. Lovely. Charming. Brilliant artist. Host of Vienna. That's pretty hot stuff. Seems like you're laying it on kind of thick here. I am, and there's a reason for it. Yeah, that's what the boys at the barbershop will figure. Doc, there's nothing to it. I'm only doing a favor for a friend. Oh, kind of a John Alden type of thing, you mean? No, not a John Alden type thing. It's Ed Hartley. His boy has taken violin lessons from Gretchen March because Mrs. Hartley wants to help European refugees, and Ed has to get out of the house while a kid practices, so I'm just trying to... Forget it, Doc. The story's just too doggone complicated. Yeah, it sure is. You ought to have been able to do better than that. Now, look, Doc. Well, morning, Maggie. Hi, Doc. Will, you'll never guess the rumor that's going around about you. Maggie, what in the dickens were you doing at the barber shop?
Oh, hi, Ed. Ah. Been wanting to thank you, Will. That article in the paper sure did the job. No more lessons, huh? Nope. Sarah gave in. Good. Last night's the first quiet evening I've had at home for weeks. And it's kind of nice to have the neighbors speaking to me again, too. I take it Gretchen March don't need any more help, then. Within three hours after the paper hit the streets yesterday, 16 parents had called her wanting to arrange violin lessons for their kids. And there'll be more. Mm, that's good. She ought to end up with a pretty fair income. Sure she will. Most of them offer double price. Figure it's a privilege. I guess she'll have to rent a studio now. She can't handle that many in her apartment. Uh, yeah, well, uh... Say, uh, Eddie's real grateful, too, Will. Boy, is he glad to get off of that violin. I bet he is. Uh, maybe I could locate some place she could use. Yes, sir. Never saw that kid oh, so happy. It ought to be off kind of by itself, I guess. Most of the neighbors would look at a music studio as a nuisance. Well, I gotta run, Will. Uh, sure oh. do thank you. Well, wait a second, Ed. Say, you got some business properties Sorry, that... Will, I'm late now. I'll be seeing uh, Yeah, but... Well, now, what in the blue blazes got into him? Hiya, Maggie. Will, have you talked to Ed Hartley? Yeah, I just ran into him on the street. Told me all about it. Now, Maggie, it's a perfect example of the power of the press. I know, Will. One but... article in the paper and a woman the town hardly knew existed turns into a local celebrity, her services in demand, income established, yes, but... not to forget the original purpose of the whole thing, also accomplished. Ed Hartley can set home evenings now and read his paper in peace thanks to the Illyria Weekly Gazette, the paper that gets things done. The paper that not only reflects but molds public opinion. The, the paper, paper whose editor just loves the sound of his own voice. <laughs> I guess I got carried away. The editor whose name is on everybody's lips, oh. linked in romance with that lovely, charming, fascinating, brilliant Viennese artist, Miss Gretchen Now, Mark, Maggie. An older woman. Oh, it'll die out, Maggie. Just talk. About her being an older woman? Now, you know what I mean. Well, down to work. <laughs> that job's done. Operation Help Ed Hartley. Mission accomplished. File closed. Not so fast, Will. You've got a shock coming. I have? Oh, oh, say, you got to find some place she can use for a studio. Won't be necessary. Huh? She already has a place. Oh, good. I was afraid we'd have some trouble finding a... What was that? The opening salvo. Be darned if I know what you're trying... Maggie, is that... It is. The vacant real estate office next door. It's now the Gretchen March Studio of Music. Oh, no. Twenty-one pupils already, Will. And more enrolling all the time. Well, down to work, as you say. <laughs> Maggie, something's got to be done. You can't listen to that all day. we got to get her out of here. Who owns that office anyway? Ed Hartley.
Confound it, Will. It wasn't my fault. It was Sarah. She figured that if we were going to stop Eddie's lessons, the least we could do was give Gretchen March a free studio. It didn't have to be next door to the newspaper. It's the only building I've got vacant, Will. Ed, can you imagine Eddie's practicing multiplied by 21? I sure wish I could do something about it, but I don't see how... You've got to do something about it. Doggone it, Will. I can't just throw her out on the street. Of course not, but... Well... There must be some other place she can use. Nothing I know anything about. Uh, what she ought to have is a hall of some kind, or an auditorium, or a... An auditorium? Will, I don't know what you're thinking about, but the only auditorium in town is the one at the high school. Well, that's what I am thinking about. And the fact that you're on the school board, Ed. Now, wait a minute. And the fact that I'm in this mess because I did a favor for you. Will, I can't do it. They got a strict rule about the auditorium. It can't be let out except to teachers or staff members. Then get her on the staff. Are you crazy? A high school orchestra ad. Should have had one a long time ago. Every other town this size does. The board would never approve it. With you on the board? Of course it would. I don't have the whole say-so, Will. Old man Brandon at Blockett. You remember how he fought to the last ditch against putting physical education in the curriculum. Last school in the state to do it. Yeah, I know. He wants to keep everything just like it was 30 years ago. Any change, no matter what, he's against it. I wouldn't have a chance with it. Now, wait. Public opinion beat him on physical education, and public opinion will beat him on this. There's no public opinion on this. There will be, Ed. Never underestimate the power of the press. Uh, the way I heard it, it's the power of a woman. That's another quotation. I wonder. Tell me something, Will. That uh, interview you printed. Is she really that fascinating? All right, Will. I've got to. Possibly the town has not been quite ready to support a high school orchestra before, as Reedville, Yates Center, and West Branch have supported theirs for some years. But now we're ready. Uh, ready, willing, and able. Ready, willing, and able. Then it goes on. And fate is kind in supplying us at the very moment with the one person capable of giving us the best musical group in the state. That brilliant performer and teacher, Miss Gretchen March. All right, Maggie. Uh, now I'll add this on. Mm-hmm. The Gazette agrees with the great poet that... There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to victory. Omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. Shakespeare even. Paragraph. The time of flood tide is now. Shall Illyria seize it? Shall we support a high school orchestra? The Gazette says yes. Well, what do you think, Maggie? Well, A trifle uh... flowery, Will. Not bad, but flowery. Oh, didn't hear you come in, Doc. Disinterring the bard, quoting him out of context, pulling out all the stops. You must feel pretty strong about this orchestra, Will. He was at cornet last week, Doc. Will's becoming quite musical-minded. Maybe. I don't see anything unusual about this editorial. A school needs an orchestra, and the least the Gazette can do is to start the ball rolling. This is one paper that's civic-minded. 
Civic-minded, musical-minded, or Gretchen March-minded? Are we back to the boys in the barber shop? Quoting poetry, though, that is supposed to be a kind of a sign. All I'm trying to do is to find Gretchen someplace to teach violin lessons that isn't practically under my desk. Oh, so it's Gretchen now. What of it? Doc, you're making a... See what I mean? What in the name of the Bonnie Blue Hills was that? Pupil 17. 4 to 4.30. Anonymous. A violin made that sound? I guess so. I never had the nerve to go next door and find out. That may be a budding high fit, Doc. Sounds more like Jack Benny. And you want to multiply that into a whole orchestra? Well, that's a beginner. Orchestra will just take advanced students. And anyway, it'll be clear across town in the high school auditorium. Well, that'd be a help, at least. Too bad it won't work out. What makes you think it won't? Old Everett Brandon. He even objects to the science department teaching atomic theory. Says they got along all right without Adams in his day. He won't agree to anything new, Will. That's the reason for this editorial. Oh, pressure of public opinion? <laughs> it won't move Brandon, even if you arouse any public opinion. I'll arouse it. I'll get Gretchen March out of here and over to that auditorium if I have to go out and make soapbox speeches. Take your coronet, Will. That'll draw the crowd. Yeah, and quote some Shakespeare. Poetry always gets them. I've heard better music from a cat with its tail caught in the door, and the cat didn't have to practice. Afternoon, Will. Hi, Harry. Uh, hiya, Gretchen. How's the music business? Overwhelming. Why, I have so many pupils, I hardly have a moment to think. And do you know something, Mr. Rogers? A few of them even show definite signs of talent. Amazing. Not much, you understand, but definite. And now this editorial in the paper this morning... Well... Oh, it is too much. Too kind of you. I, I don't know what I should say to thank you. It's no more than you deserve. It'll be a fine thing for the high school. And, of course, you'll be able to use the auditorium for your private pupils, and it'll work out better for everybody. Uh, uh, for the pupils, I mean. And all because of you. Mr. Rogers, you have made me so happy I could kiss you. Well, at least not here in front of the barbershop. To take such an interest in someone you did not even know. Yeah, well... You uh... have given me new interest in life. I feel like a young girl again. Oh, it is wonderful. Oh, well, now... Well, I wonder if I could have a word or two with you. Uh, why, of course, Mr. Brandon. Uh, do you have... I just read this editorial of yours. Of all the unmitigated, rabble-rousing poppycock I ever heard of. With the taxpayers of this town already overburdened with a crushing weight of utterly asinine and nonsensical expenditures, you're asking for an orchestra. An orchestra indeed, sir. Uh, Mr. Brandon, I don't think I'll you... tell you right now, Will, no orchestra. Not even if the irate citizens of Illyria... Storm the school board with fire and sword. I don't think it'll come to that, but if, now... if they want music, let them turn to their radios. And you can tell that to this March woman, whoever uh, Miss March, I'd like to present to you Mr. Everett Brandon. How do you do, Mr. Brandon? It's a pleasure, Miss March. Miss March? But I thought you were... I expected more... That I, I wouldn't have talked the way I... <laughs> oh, by Jove, I, I'm late. Yes, indeed. Got to hurry. Good day. 
greatest invention since the steam engine. What is? The newspaper morgue. Maggie, do you realize we got facts about people in these morgue files that people themselves don't even know? And what does that have to do with Mr. Brandon? Everything. We're just giving his file a final check. D-Day, huh? He'll be here any minute, Will. Yeah, I know. Uh, did you get that music? Check, General Rogers. Record player all set up? Yes, sir. And the high school orchestra is practically a cinch. Not the way Mr. Brandon tells it. <laughs> you wait. When he walks out of here, he'll be the strongest booster in town for it. He'll be as stubborn for it as he's been against it. Why, he'll even... Good evening, Will. Oh, Miss Button. Now come right in, Mr. Brandon. Pull up a chair. All set, Maggie? Standing by, sir. Will, if you ask me to stop by here with some ill-conceived thought of changing my mind about that orchestra, you're wasting time for both of us. Oh, I just wanted to be sure you heard both sides, Mr. Brandon. You don't care to hear both sides? This town is spending as much as it can afford on education right now without starting any more... Newfangled Paulderall. Well, I never thought of music as being newfangled, exactly. You know what I mean, Will. Oh, uh, speaking of music, is that record player still around here, Maggie? Yes, I believe it is, Will. <laughs> Good. Well, let's have some music. We're pretty informal here at the Gazette, Mr. Brandon. Mm, indeed. Uh, anything yeah. in particular, Will? No, just whatever record you happen to have there. <clears throat> no. Will... Will, I'm quite aware of the fact that I am regarded as somewhat of a local obstructionist to the march of progress. Well, so be it. I might point out, however... Uh, I might point out, however, that many of the things which I have ineffectively opposed have turned out to be mixed blessings. The world, as we once knew it, was fully as... That's a nice selection, Maggie. Yes, I thought you'd like it. Vienna. That music takes me back a long way, Will. Uh, you uh, know Vienna, Mr. Brandon? Oh, I was a student there. In the Vienna that was, that will never be again, just before First World War. Uh, I remember that music. Lots of fine orchestras there, I imagine. Oh, orchestras, string ensembles, solo artists. There was always music. Oh, it was life itself. Along the river at night, will the cafes, music and color. I remember the uniforms we wore as students. Blue jackets with red facing and white leather shoulder bars. Ah, Vienna. <sighs> Gretchen March comes from there, Mr. Brandon. You'd probably have a lot in common. Yes, I dare say. An attractive woman... Charming, understand? I'm sorry I spoke the way I... Good heavens. It's a bad needle, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a bad needle. Maybe you better turn the volume up, Maggie. Yes, I think so. Now, Mr. Brandon, about the high school orchestra... Oh, there'll be one, Will. Save your arguments. This was a plan of yours at work. Remembering Vienna, I couldn't refuse the young people here their chance at music like that will. That needle seems to be doing it again. Yeah, I guess it's uh, kind of worn, I guess. Well, maybe a few of them will show talent. I guess that's all one can hope for. Shall I put that morgue folder away now, Will? <clears throat> now, uh, about Miss March, I, um, I've alienated her completely, no doubt. Oh, I don't think so. Hmm. Of course, I do understand that you have a certain personal interest in her yourself, Will. 
Where the dickens did you hear that? Well, uh, ordinarily I don't go there. I do it myself. But I didn't have time to shave this morning, so uh, I heard it at the barber shop. Well, I've got to run on, Will. Oh, would you ask Miss March to drop by and see me? I'll take the matter up with the board after I talk to her. <laughs> Fine. Oh, uh, and Mr. Brandon. Huh? As one gentleman of the old school to another, I have absolutely no personal interest in Miss March. Oh, well, I'm uh, rather glad to hear that. Yes, yes, indeed. Good day, all. <clears throat> I guess you can stop that record now, Maggie. It did the job. All right, well... There's a romance coming up there, Will. Sure looks that way. That's what did it. Not the power of the press or the fact you found that Mr. Brandon had gone to school in Vienna. Doc was right. Never underestimate the power of a woman. Well, maybe so, Maggie. But anyway, it all worked out. Just listen. Listen. I don't hear anything. That's what I mean. Peace. It's wonderful. At least it will be. You have just heard Rogers of the Gazette, starring Mr. Will Rogers, Jr., with Georgia Ellis as Maggie Button. Tonight's story was written by Les Crutchfield and produced and transcribed by Norman MacDonald. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear, Virginia Gregg, Sammy Ogg, John Daner, and Vic Perrin. The special music was composed by Rene Garrigan and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Starting next week, Rogers of the Gazette will be heard on Wednesdays. Consult your local station or paper for the time. Remember, Wednesday next week. And be sure to tune in next week at the same time to hear Junior Miss. Six new plays opened along Broadway, and tomorrow night, Stage Struck rounds them up all into one big broadcast when your host, Mike Wallace, gives you the chance to be stage struck on most of these same CBS radio stations. Bob Lamont speaking. You enjoy music with the girls Saturday in the daytime hours on the CBS Radio Network. That was Rogers of the Gazette, his first broadcast November 5th, 1953 on CBS. The name of that episode was Gretchen March, Toast of Vienna. I love that show. I think that was a really good show. And we, uh, we have a number of episodes, so maybe we'll play some more in the weeks ahead. All right, coming up next, we're going to go back to 1949 for an episode of You Bet Your Life, which was a popular quiz show with Groucho Marx. And of course, it made it onto television, and it was on there for quite a while. If you're a baby boomer, you probably remember watching it on television. 
George Fenneman was always uh, Groucho's announcer and sort of a uh, fall guy for Groucho's jokes. They would take couples from the studio audience just randomly, and it, you might end up with two people that didn't even know each other, and uh, they would become the contestants. And it was almost always a man and a woman. This one will really date itself in a couple of ways. One, by the amount of money that is, <laughs> that is offered as prizes. It just sounds so low by today's standards. But remember, this was 1949. And the other thing is just the, uh, the political correctness, I guess you would say. One of the contestants in here is described <laughs> almost like it's an occupation as a woman driver. Seriously, George says, Groucho, our next contestants are a mechanic and a woman driver. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. You Bet Your Life from December 1949. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret Anyone word tonight... Anyone falling asleep during the show will be thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is dust. D-U-S-T. Really? You bet your life! Elgin America, creator of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, magic action lighters, finest dresser sets, presents... Groucho Marx in the Elgin American show, You Bet Your Life. The comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here's that sterling Elgin American, the one, the only... Groucho! He must be a kegme. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx. Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,500 for one of our couples here tonight. George, who's first? We invited some bacteriologists to the show tonight, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. Frank Matuccio, and his partner is Mrs. Idella Manicera, who operates a bird hospital. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, folks, for Elgin American Compacts. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins a 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector that sells for $129.50. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mr. Uh, Matuccio? Yes. Uh, you're the bacteriologist. I am. Uh, where, where are you from? Uh, uh, I'll call you Frank, eh? Santa Monica. Santa Monica, huh? Uh, and uh, married? Uh, yes. How, how long have you been married, Frank? Oh, about 11 to 12 years. What is a bacteriologist? Oh, a bacteriologist is one who studies bacteria. <laughs> well, well, what's bacteria? The red door oh. of a cafeteria? Oh. <laughs> Uh, bacteria is a unicellular structure which exhibits uh, uh, some of the fundamental process of plant protoplasm. Mm -hmm. That's very true, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you mind if I ask you another question? Not at all. Uh, what is bacteria? The rear door of a cafeteria? <laughs> Mrs. Uh, Manicera. Is, is that, yes. That, that's an odd name. Is that the correct uh, pronunciation? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, what is it? Spanish? Italian. Italian. Well, uh, what does it mean in English? Does it have any <laughs> well, English I significance? I was so busy getting the man that I didn't think to analyze the name. <laughs> well, uh, 
Idella, is that your first name? Yeah, Idella? it is. My That's given a... name. Your given name, huh? Yeah. I guess somebody was glad to get rid of that name. <laughs> you, are, you operate a, a bird hospital, huh? That's right. And you're a bird doctor, I take yes. it. Yes. Can you stand on one leg and go to sleep? <laughs> Well, you're a doctor, sort of. Maybe you can answer a question that's been bothering me for a long time. What is bacteria? That's exactly what the doctor said. Everybody seems to know but me, huh? For a bird doctor, you're pretty cagey, I know. <laughs> well, tell me, uh, Louis Pasteur, that's you. Uh... How did, you, how did you meet your wife? Uh, under well, a microscope? Or, uh... No. <laughs> I met my wife at an eastern hospital. She happened to be the personnel clerk there, and uh, she took down my... Um... Study then. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> what I... But I wanted to say I was that she pardon, uh, huh? took my application. I, and, uh, was, it a, was it a hot application? No, it was a pretty good application. Do you have any youngsters, Doc? No youngsters. Does uh, anything exciting ever happen around your laboratory? Oh, not too much. I happened to uh, listen to a baseball game one day, one of the World Series over a stethoscope. You listened to it over a stethoscope? That's right. Mm-hmm. We could hear the, uh, the speaker loud enough at the time, so... Uh, my chief, the pathologist, walked up to his office and came back with a stethoscope and placed it over the speaker of the radio and uh, gave us the play-by-play account of the game from then on. <laughs> so, <laughs> I didn't think you'd be able to do that with a stethoscope. Oh, yes. <laughs> because most of the Brooklyn players didn't have any heart for this world series. Well, tonight I'm learning quite a lot about birds and bacteria, and now I want you to have the perfect Christmas gift from our sponsor. For Mrs. Idella Manisera, Elgin American's beautiful pearls, an ideal Christmas gift for any woman. They're the finest pearls made by man. I'm oh, sure you'll enjoy them. Thank you. They'll match everything I have. And now, what Mr. about Ducky here? For <laughs> Mr. Matuccio, an ideal Christmas gift for a man. Elgin American's popular cigarette case with today's smart leather-like look. Oh, very nice. Now I can stop bumming cigarettes, I guess. <laughs> now, uh, Idella, what kind of birds do you doctor? Well, we have all kinds. We have canaries and parakeets and cockatiels and parrots and minor birds. Minor Every- bird? What's Is that the bird that looks after the minors? <laughs> that isn't John L. Lewis, huh? <laughs> now, do you ever treat any wild birds? Yes, we treat wild birds. They're brought to us constantly. Mm-hmm. What kind? I, well, all kinds. Um, mockingbirds and blackbirds and larks, everything. Lark, uh, what everything. do you do for a lark? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we reduce the fractures if that happens to be the case. All You're right? just an old night owl, that's what you do. <laughs> you just don't give a hoot, do you? <laughs> What's the most unusual bird doctoring you've ever tackled? Uh, I once had a pair of penguins brought to me. You did, huh? I've led a very sheltered life. I've never had a penguin. <laughs> what was the matter with them? Did they, they fall had... off a package of cool? No, they fell from a cool place into a warm climate, and that gave them pneumonia. They fell from a cool place into a warm climate? Into a warm climate. That's what eventually is going to happen to me, you know. 
Now, tell me, Florence Nightingale, when you were a young girl... A real young girl, I mean. You're still a girl, but uh, did you always dream of someday being a bird doctor? No, I what, wanted... What, what did you want to be? I wanted to be a physician. But when I was a girl, that wasn't being done. My parents threw up their hands in horror. Mm-hmm. So... Had they uh, swallowed them? Uh... <laughs> what a vulgar mind I have. Just one minute, you're going to work together as a team for $1,500. Fenneman, tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,500 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's going on out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected nicknames for college teams, right? That's right. What college team? How many? You have $20. How much do you want to bet? Well, 10 10 What college team is known as the Indians? Stanford. Stanford is right. And they're off down the field with $30. You're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of your $30 will you try? Well, 20 20 What college team is known as the Mustangs? Uh, Southern Methodist. Southern Methodist is on the nose. And now they have $50. Here's your third question. Uh, how much of the 50 are you going to try? 40 What college is known as the Vandals? Uh, V-A-N-D-A-L-S Tennessee No Vanderbilt No, I'm sorry It's where the big potatoes come from It's Idaho Oh, Idaho They now have $10 Now you only have $10 And here's your last chance To beat the other couples How much of the 10 do you bet? Oh, we'll bet the works You bet the works What college team is known As the Wolverines? Uh, Michigan Michigan is correct And they'll wind up With a total of $20 (laughs) Thanks and good luck from Elgin American Compacts. Don't wander off now. No, you still, you can still get the big question, you know. Groucho, the secret word is still dust. Perhaps the next couple will say it. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a mechanic and a woman driver. And here they are, Mrs. Hilda Mary Buss and Mr. Jack McDonald. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, folks, to the Elgin American Program. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins the 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector instantly. It's a common word, something you see every day. Mr. Uh, Jack McDonald, huh? Yes, you're, sir. You're a mechanic, eh? Uh, are you married, uh, Jack? Yes, sir. Any little wenches? I mean, any little uh, wenches at home? I have wrenches two. at home? Two, sir. How, how'd you meet your wife? Oh, I was invited to a party one evening, and I was told I was to have a date with a girl by the name of Verna. When I got there, I found there was two Vernas, so I took my choice. <laughs> and, uh... I hope you quit that, though, huh? <laughs> yes, sir. Where do, you, where do you work, Jack? Work for Mark C. Bloom, 6210 Sunset Boulevard, open 24 hours a day, good service. What kind of a mechanic are you? A uh, garage mechanic. You, you work on garages? On oh, cars. Do you, do you work on them or under them? Uh, under them. Well, why do you work under the cars? Huh? That's where the work is. Don't look now, but my clutch is slipping. Huh? <laughs> Now, Mrs. Uh, Buss, Hilda Buss, huh? That's right. Uh, where, where are you from, Hilda? I'm originally from River Falls, Wisconsin. What is your husband's uh, occupation? Is he? Well, he's assistant vice president for the Equitable Life Insurance Company. Mm-hmm. That's good business, the insurance business. Right? Well, I think so, and he does, too. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Yes, yes. <laughs> 
I'm crazy about it. How'd you meet your husband, ma'am? Well, I was uh, selling men's real silk shorts door to door. (laughs) You were selling men's shorts? Do you model these things? No. I met him in his private business office with a tape measure in one hand, a pair of orchid shorts in the other. That's how you met him? Yes, that's right. And what did, what did he do? Well, I was uh, trying to write up an order for him, and they come in the new seven-day pack. And, uh... <laughs> so, uh, What's a seven-day pack? Well, uh, Sunday is Orchid, Monday is Cardinal, <laughs> Tuesday is Kelly Green. You mean you know people who change their underwear every day? So? Wednesday is champagne. Well, Thursday is huh? canary. If Thursday is canary. I'll get that bird doctor back here. <laughs> Friday is salmon. Saturday is flesh color. Flesh color. What's that? No shorts at all? <laughs> I suppose Sunday you spend all day washing the other Saturday. <laughs> Well, this is a whole new world you've opened to me, Hilda. Now tell me, uh, leaky gasket, what's the most common what's the most common type of repair job that you're called on to fix? People come in with a trouble, they say. They knock and a rattle, but it's all in their head. They got a rattle in their head? Well, what gives you the most trouble? Uh, men drivers or women? Oh, men. Why? Why is, why is that? The man, he comes in and he wants, I mean, he knows all about it, you know. He, and the woman driver, she comes in and says, fix it. <laughs> now, Mrs. Uh, Buss, is this true that women don't know anything about the car they drive? Well, I wouldn't say that. Well, you don't have to. He just said it. <laughs> Let's see how much you know. For example, you've just stepped on the starter. Now, tell me, what's going on under the hood? Oh, makes an awful roaring sound, and there's gas going through the generator, and jumps into the spark plugs, and first thing you know, the spark plugs are sparking away, and pretty soon I start off the car. Well, can you, what is a microbe? Can you tell me? <laughs> now, Mrs. Buss, I'll give you one more chance. After you drive around a while, your motor heats up, doesn't yeah. it, as a rule? Uh-huh. Now, tell me, what keeps your car from getting too hot? Well, open the window. <laughs> I rest my transmission, huh? <laughs> now, we're very happy to have you both here. You've been a wonderful couple. And George has the perfect Christmas gifts from our sponsor. For Mrs. Buss, Elgin American's beautiful dresser set in jeweler's bronze with a look of gold. Notice that engraved floral design, Mrs. Buss. Isn't that lovely? Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you. For our mechanic, Elgin American's exclusive heart-shaped compact that's definitely different. It's jeweler's bronze that looks like gold. His wife will truly appreciate it. Beautiful. All right, now let's play your bet your life for $1,500. You run your $20 into more than our other couples, and you get a chance at the big question. I can't tell you how much the first couple won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The bacteriologist and the bird doctor won $20. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected pictures on paper money as your category. Is that right? Yes, sir. Here's your first question. You have $20. How much are you going to try? Fifteen. Fifteen. Whose picture is on the $5 bill? Lincoln. Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, the old boy himself. <laughs> 
You're on my way with $35. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the $35 are you going to try? 20. 30 No, 30 You're going to try 30 30 Whose picture is on the $2 bill? Jefferson. Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson is right, huh? <laughs> They're on their way. They have $65. All right, you've got $65. And here's your third question. How much of the 65 are you going to try? 60 $60. Whose picture is on the $50 bill? Grant. General Grant is right. They're really climbing now. They have $125. All right, you're reaching the peak. You've got 125 bucks. And how much are you going to bet of the 125? 125. All of it. $125. Whose picture's on the $500 bill? Harrison. Harrison. I'm sorry. It's William McKinley. McKinley. That was a tough one. You gambled and you lost. It's going to give you a chance to make yourself $10 richer. It's not going to be easy. So concentrate. Ready? What animal do you find on a buffalo nickel? Buffalo. A buffalo is right. <laughs> Thanks and good luck from Elgin American Compacts. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play the Elgin American game, and then we know who gets the $1,500 question. George, who's ahead so far? The bacteriologist and the bird doctor are leading with $20. And the secret word is still dust. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a young couple who were about to be married. And here they are, coming in from offstage. Miss Jackie Hawk and Mr. Don Peckoff meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for Elgin American Compacts. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins the 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector instantly. It's a common word, something you see every day. Pretty classy-looking couple, I'd say. So you two are getting married, eh? Uh... Don uh, Peckoff, that's you. Yeah. Uh, when is the big day, Don? Oh, it'll be a week from Sunday. Week from Sunday. Huh? How old are you, Don? I'm 25. And uh, Jackie Hauk. Hauk, is that me? Yes. Soon it'll be uh, Jackie Peckoff, huh? How old are you, Jackie? 20. 20, huh? I presume you realize that marriage is a serious business, Don? Yes, I do. Would you be able to support uh, Jackie uh, on your income? Oh, yes. Are you, are you sure of that as uh, he is, uh, Jackie? Yes. In fact, we... Already worked out a budget. <laughs> oh, you dream is in for a surprise. Huh? <laughs> Where do you work, Don? I work at Orbach's. Is that a second-hand store? Oh, no. <laughs> no. No? No, it isn't. Well, I'm sorry. I wish it was. I wanted to buy a second-hand for my watch. <laughs> what do you What do you do at Orbach's? Oh, I work in the boys' department. I sell clothing for kids from 4 to 20. And once a week, I take stock. And Have you ever been caught at it? <laughs> <laughs> and Jackie, where do you work? I also work at Orbeck. You work at Orbeck? How did you meet this fellow in the bargain basement? <laughs> uh, how'd you meet him, uh, Jackie? Well, I was out with a friend of his, and... Uh... We wound up the same place during the course of the evening. Where? And, uh, Hobnob, Beverly Hills. Who were you with? A friend of his. I said, Stanley. Don't Stan. even remember his Stanley. Name? Stanley, yeah. Mm-hmm. And? And, uh, and well. You came in? Oh, I came in a little later. And who met who were you with? I was with a girl named Merle. <laughs> and? What happened? Well, I, I went home at 12.30. Stanley took me home, and Donald picked me up at a quarter of one. <laughs> Why, you little sneak, you, huh? 
Now, look, uh, I'm a little past that period, but uh, how did he transmit this message to you that he was going to see you after you had stashed away this other guy, huh? <laughs> well, um, we had a chance to talk between songs. I see. Between and Stanley wasn't looking, and he right. quick-slipped him the info, huh? <laughs> he went out to get more cokes. <laughs> Shows you, man, should never leave the room. <laughs> What do you do at the store, Jackie? I'm a rapper. A rapper? Mm-hmm. Pretty snappy-looking rapper. <laughs> and how far from uh, from Jackie do you operate? Uh? Oh, about two minutes by the escalator. <laughs> two and a half minutes by the elevator and four minutes by the stairs. There must be a faster way, isn't there? <laughs> I haven't hit on it if there is. Have you tried squeezing in one of those little change boxes that they shoot along? <laughs> Try that no, next time. How did you shop around before you decided that Don was the best boy, Jackie? Oh, I went out on dates. Went out with quite a few fellas, I guess. Before Escalator Eddie popped the question here, <laughs> did uh, anybody else ask you to get married in addition to your mother? Uh... <laughs> Couple. Couple? Did she lean over the counter and kiss you when you proposed? Uh... No. She didn't give you a counter proposal, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to handle the money after you marry, Jackie? He will, I guess. Is this all settled? Do you agree on that, uh, Don? Oh, we're not particularly concerned about money. <laughs> well, I, it doesn't it's, matter. It, who no, has. really, it's, it's of no importance, money, huh? <laughs> That is, unless you want to eat or something like that. <laughs> Looking for a room or something. Uh, what's your ambition in life, Don? Uh, mm, I guess my first ambition is to get myself out of debt. Well, I, after you're 65, what's your ambition, huh? <laughs> are, there, are there any opportunities for advancement there at Orbach? Oh, yes. You, you contemplate staying there? Well, I plan on going to law school in the fall. Uh-huh. Then you're going to sue Orbach, is that it? <laughs> Well, if you, t- if you two can stand me for five minutes, you'll have no trouble standing each other, I'm sure. I wish you both every happiness, and I know you're going to have a wonderful time together. Now, George Fanneman has your perfect Christmas gifts from our sponsor. For Jackie, this lovely sterling silver compact with 14-carat gold engraving, an Elgin American, of course. Thank you. And for Don, Elgin American's hand-engraved sterling silver cigarette case that holds 20 regular or 16 king-size cigarettes. Something you'll always be proud of, Don. That is really nice. Now you're going to play your bet your life. You beat our other two couples, you'll get a crack at the $1,500. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is offstage to remind our listeners. The bacteriologist and the bird doctor are still ahead with $20. All right, here we go. You have $20. Let's see how high you can build it. You selected songs with sweet in the title. Is that right? Now you have $20. How much are you going to bet? Ten. Ten. $10. Give me the title of this sweet song. Play, Jerry. Play, Lonnie. ba 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 Sweet Milani is right. And on our way with $30. Well, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of the 30 are you going to try? $20. All right, what's the name of this song? Sweet Sue. Sweet Sue. Sweet Sue. They're on their way. Sweet Sue. They're on their way. They have $50, Groucho. They have $50, Georgie. Well, here's your third question. How much of the 50 are you going to try? Uh, 40. 
$40. All right, let's see if you can identify this song. Okay, Jerry. Sweet and lovely. Sweet and lovely is right. Roger, they have $90. Hey, don't guess quite so quick. We have a fortune tied up in these musicians. Let them play eight bars, will you? <laughs> now you've got $90, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 90 are you going to try? All of it. Well, we have 90 You have $90. Eighty? Eighty-five. $85. Oh, that's known as the Missouri Compromise. $85. Eighty-five. Give me <laughs> yes. the title of this sweet song. And they wind up with $175, and that means that they get a chance at the $1,500 question. And here's the winning couple, Groucho, the engaged couple. Well, back again to try for $1,500, eh? Good luck. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so talk it over thoroughly and no help from the audience. Please. Recently, a seven-foot statue of the Mormon leader who founded Salt Lake City was erected in the Capitol in Washington. What is the name of this great Mormon leader? What is the answer you two have decided upon? Oh, I think of it as Brown. No, I, I'm sorry. It's Brigham Young. It's Brigham Young. That's a shame. That's a shame. So that means the big question next week will be worth $2,000. Well, you lost the big money, but you received those lovely gifts from Elgin American, and you won $175. Congratulations, and thanks to both of you. <laughs> Elgin American Show, You Bet Your Life, is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Remember, next week's big question pays $2,000. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for You Bet Your Life, starring Groucho Marx. Good night, folks. If you don't care for music, listen to George Burns sing in just one hour. Good night. That was You Bet Your Life, the Groucho Marx Quiz Show that was first broadcast December 7th, 1949. All right, what we have coming up now is an episode of the Quiz Kids, which was a Sunday afternoon staple all over the country. This show came out of Chicago on NBC, and what they did is they took some very, very intelligent kids, mostly from the Chicago area. And they formed a panel, and people would try to stump them with questions, academic questions mostly. And these kids were really on top of it. Now, the theme for tonight's show is sports. And you're going to hear four very famous uh, athletes, uh, nationally known athletes, that are going to become a part of this show tonight and participate with the kids. This This is a fun one. 
So this was uh, from November 12th, 1950 on NBC. Here are the Quiz Kids. Alka-Seltzer presents the Quiz Kids. And the chief quizzer himself, Joe Kelly. Thank you, Bob Murphy. Hello, everyone. Well, I hope you're ready to have some fun, because that's what we're all set for. Sports is the theme of today's Alka-Seltzer question session, and here in class we have a famous former All-American football star. We have the star center fielder of a big league baseball team, a star center from a famous college basketball squad, and a national tennis champion. Now, we'll hear from these sports experts later on. Right now, kids, let's have roll call. First, we have Patrick. I'm Patrick Lawn Conlon. I'm 13 years old, and I'm a freshman at Calumet High School in Chicago. Next, we have Sally Ann. I'm Sally Ann Wilhelm. I'm 12 years old. I'm in the seventh grade at Central Junior High School in Elkhart, Indiana. Joel? I'm Joel Coverman. I'm 14 years old, and I'm a junior at Roosevelt High School. Frankie? I'm Frankie Vanderplugen. You know, Mr. Kelly, I made a mistake last night on my, um, last Sunday on my age. I'm not age seven. I'm age six. I'm Frankie Vanderplugen. I'm six years old, and I go to the Mount Vernon School, Chicago, Illinois. Well, good for you. <laughs> I'm glad you straightened me out on that, Frankie. You know, after all, the chief quizzer can make a mistake, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, folks, we have a brand new quiz kid, Howard. I am Howard Klein, 13 years old and a freshman at U High. All right, fine, kids. Now, here's our first question from George Hill of Seattle, Washington. The name of what college football player does this song suggest? All right, no hands up as yet. Kids are thinking real hard, though. Howard, let's have that... uh, Again, just a little of it. Oh, my. Well, that's a mighty sweet tune, and uh, no hands up, Howard? Well, I believe there's a collegiate football player by the name of Sugar. I don't know what, from what college he's from, though. And so, well, you gave me the answer, but you didn't give me the name of the tune. The answer is Leo Sugar and end on Purdue's team, and the name of the selection is My Sugar is So Refined. Well, uh, we were partly right on that. However, that is a miss, and uh, that means that George Hill of Seattle, Washington, will uh, get his choice between a large console Zenith radio photograph combination or a fine Zenith television set for stumping you kids on the very first one. Here's question number two. Mrs. May Wilson of New York sends in a question about sports in literature. What fictional stories might contribute contestants for the following games or sports? The first one is bowling. Pat. Well, that might be the story of Rip Van Winkle. Cause Rip Van Winkle, that's the boy. That's there. right, Patty. How about croquet? Frankie. Oh, that would be in Alice in Wonderland and Mr. Kelly. You know, that's kind of a funny croquet game because they use hedgehogs for balls and flamingos for mallets. That's just the way they played it. Now, how do you like that? (laughs) 
Frankie's really a cute little fella. His hand went up so quick there that he almost knocked his mortarboard off. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, fine. Well, here's the third part, archery. And Frankie's hand goes up again. All right, Frankie. Well, that would be William Tell because he shot an apple off of his little boy's head and then Robin's hood men would be good archers too because they used arrows for hunting all the time. Well, I should say so. Well, what do you know about that? Now, Frankie, you're down here. Oh, that's very, very good. I'm proud of you, Frankie. You know, friends, every Sunday, our sponsor, the makers of Alka-Seltzer, awards Zenith Transoceanic Portable Radios, Zenith Television Sets, and Zenith Radio Phonograph Combinations. If the question you send in is used on our radio program and answered correctly, the Alka-Seltzer Award is a fine Zenith Transoceanic Portable Radio. On the other hand, uh, well, but wait, let's, let's try this next question and see... What happens? Uh, Mrs. Sally Connors of Boston, Massachusetts, points out that many of the heroes in college and professional sports have names difficult to pronounce, and she wants you quiz kids to spell these difficult names. First, Rykovich. Howard. I think it's R-Y-K-O-V-I-C-H. That's right, Howard. Good boy. How about this next one? Shane Deans. Howard again. S-C-H-O-E-N. D-I-E-N-S-T. D, uh, what'd you, uh, D-I-E-N-S-T. D-I-E-N-S-T. That's correct. Good boy. Nice going. Uh-huh. And uh, what uh, what uh, position does he play? He by plays the... second base for the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, yeah, well, he's, that's right. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, Mrs. Sally Connors of Boston gets the dandy Zenith Transoceanic Portable that gives worldwide reception no matter where you are. Now, if that had been a miss... Uh, she would have had a choice between a Zenith television set and a large console Zenith radio phonograph combination. Say, that television set is the Zenith Buchanan, and it has everything. A new super-range chassis to ensure the ultimate in performance. The sensational built-in picture magnet aerial, single-knob automatic tuning, and the glare band black tube for clearer pictures. The large console radio phonograph plays all types of records and has AM and FM radio. Now, if you would like to win one of these fine zeniths, send in a question for our radio program and address your questions to Quiz Kids, Box Y, Chicago 77, Illinois. Well, let's see now what our next question... Oh, say, according to Mrs. Doris Ross of New York, a football game isn't a football game without some good peppy cheer music, kids. And this next question will be a test to see how well each of you children could spur on a certain football team with its school song. I'm going to hand out kazoos to you children, and you are to each hum a school song and see if the other children can identify it. All right? Who's ready to start this off? Now, who'd like to start off here? Joel? <laughs> I'm not laughing at you, Joel. I'm laughing with you. Uh, Patrick? Well, that's we're from Iowa. That's the Iowa song. The Iowa corn song. All right, fine. Now then, who's next? Who would like to be the next one? Sally Ann? Wait a minute, honey. Turn the... Uh, you're uh, blowing in the wrong end. That's it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Howard? 
Notre Dame, that's right. Now, who's next here? Patrick? Sally Ann? Uh, that's an uh, Illinois li- loyalty song. That's right. That's a girl. Now then, uh, Frankie, how about you? Joel? That's the Georgia Tech song. That's I right. I and Howard, how, how about you now? Right. Have you got the wrong end there, Howard? Yes. Huh? No, no, you're all right. I couldn't see it was hidden behind the microphone. Go ahead. Yeah, don't put your finger in the stuff. That is not a key. <laughs> Well, that's hail to the victors for Michigan. That's a boy, that's right. (laughs) And now, quiz kids, we really get down to the heart of our all-sports program. For here in our classroom, I have four nationally known figures in the world of sports to ask you their own questions in person. Yes, sir, here's a regular battery of sports experts. Four of them, each one representing a different sport, so put on your thinking caps and get ready to have some tough questions whirled at you. And our first field is the field of baseball. And here to ask you a question about baseball is a longtime favorite from the Chicago Cubs, Andy Pafko. Come on in and let's play ball. Okay, Mr. Kelly. Well, quiz kids, I'd like to test you on a baseball question. Who was recently voted the most valuable player? Pat? Well, that was Phil Rizzuto in the, in the American League, and uh, I think it was Jim Constanti in the National League. Very good, very good. And the next question, in the news recently was a listing of the Associated Press Big League All-Stars. Now I wonder whether you could name five of the 11 men listed and position they play. Joel? Well, let's see. I believe Dropel was at first base and Robinson at second base and Rizzuto at shortstop. And let's see, Kell at third. And the outfield was, let's see, Kiner and uh, Musial and DiMaggio. And let's see, uh, Barrow was catching and Lemon and uh, Lemon and uh, Spahn were pitching, I think. That's very good. Well, you missed one question. You're a utility man. Who's voted the most? Uh, oh, Goodman. Goodman <laughs> of the uh, Boston. <laughs> Joe really scored on that, didn't he, Andy? Oh, he's perfect. Yes, sir. A perfect uh, day at bat, huh? That's right. That's batting a thousand, I'd say. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks a lot, Andy. Now then, kids, we turn next to football. Your next challenge comes from the famous Yale quarterback who was All-American in 1936 and 37, Mr. Clint Frank. Clint, I hope the kids are ready to tackle your question. Thank you, Joe. Here are some good, tough questions for you quiz kids about the outcome of some of this season's games. You are to get two out of three parts correct. First one. In this current year, what team won from Ohio State but lost to Texas? Pat. Well, that would be uh, SMU. They uh, beat Ohio State 32-27, to and then uh, Texas beat them 23-20. to That's 100%. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fine going. Second question. What team defeated Columbia but lost to Army? Joel? Well, that was Penn. They uh, beat Columbia 34 to nothing, and then they uh, lost to Army, I think, it was, yeah, 28 to 13. Another one, 100%. Finally, what two teams defeated Iowa but lost to Michigan? What two teams defeated Iowa but lost to Michigan? Howard. I believe one of them was Illinois. Joel? No. I believe Indiana beat them, and uh, let's see, I think another one of those beat them. Indiana and somebody else. It's the Midwestern school, I'll say that. Uh. No, I'm sorry, you're right on the Indiana, but Wisconsin was the other team that defeated Iowa but lost to Michigan. Thanks a lot. All right, well, thanks very much, Clint. We can't get them all, you know. <laughs> now, next, we delve into that fast and fascinating game of basketball. <laughs> and with us in our classroom, we have the center of the DePaul basketball team, Clem Pavilonis. Well, we're glad certainly to glad to have you with us, Clem. And uh, folks, I uh, would, uh, you folks here in the studio can see Clem, but if you folks out there listening in could only see him, he's, uh, Clem, when you were on the first floor waiting for the elevator, did it finally pick you up uh, on the third floor? <laughs> he's so tall. It did, but I had to bend over twice. Oh, you did, huh? <laughs> you must be six feet... Uh, all about six... seven inches tall. Oh, fine, fine. Well, all right, Clem. Now, uh, let's see how many baskets we can make uh, with your questions. Well, I have a really tough basco- basketball question here, which concerns the Big Nine Conference. Who were last season's champions at the Big Nine Conference, Pat? Well, Ohio State was the champion. That's right. Well, who was champions the year before that? Joel? I believe Illinois was. You're right on that one. How about the year before that one? Joel? Wisconsin? Yes, sir. You really know him. How about the year before that? Joel? Wasn't that Iowa? I believe you're wrong. That was Michigan, wasn't it? The year before that. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, We're a little mixed up here, Clem. Uh, After Illinois, it was Uh, Michigan, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, and then after uh, Michigan, what... uh, Oh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, that's right. All right, now. My own basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. You want to continue? You want to go on? Well, how about the year before then? Well, then we get into Iowa. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. That was Ohio State. Ohio State. Well, all right. Thanks a lot, Clem. And now then, uh, we turn to the glamorous sport of tennis. to Howard Peterson. I'm in the mood for love, tennis. How do you like that? Well, that's pretty cute. And we have another very interesting guest in our classroom to ask this next question. He is the 1950 National Junior Tennis Champion, Hamilton, or Ham Richardson, cited by the chairman of the Davis Cup Selection Committee as the best tennis prospect in a quarter of a century. Well, it's certainly nice to see you up here in Chicago, Ham. You all set with your questions? Yes, sir. Thanks, Mr. Kelly. I'm very glad to be here and get a chance to meet you and the quiz kids. All right. Well, you know, uh, quiz kids, since Ham is almost quiz kid age himself, he just turned 17, he has a question about other young athletes for you to identify. So go right ahead, Ham. 
Well, this tennis star played her first match in 1920 at the age of 14. And in 15, she won the National Junior Championship for girls. At 16, and she won the National Women's Doubles Championship. At 17, she became the International Women's Champion of the United States. I have a little more information here, but I see you know it already. So, Pat? <laughs> well, I think maybe it was Helen Wills, wasn't That's it? That's right. Helen Wills Moody now, or Helen Wills Moody Roark now, I believe. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Uh, this young man won the junior and senior championships of, in Ecuador at the age of 16. He recently won... <laughs> Give me a chance to finish. He recently won the United States Professional <laughs> Men's Championship. I have a hint for you even, but... Uh, would that be Pancho Segura? That's right. <laughs> well, say... Hamilton, I, I know you're in Chicago because of a special trip you're making in which you are devoting your whole time to the Diabetes Detection Drive sponsored by the American Diabetes Association. It is certainly one of the greatest projects in our country, and since this is important to everyone, I'd like to ask you to tell us more about it. I'd be glad to, Mr. Kelly. As all of us know, diabetes can be a fatal disease. It ranks eight among the diseases causing death, but fortunately it now has a control so that if a patient is treated early and competently, he can live an active, healthy life for a complete lifespan. About 10% of all diabetics are children and teenagers, and I want to help in making sure every boy and girl get treatments early. From my own experience, I know that it pays. I'm a diabetic, and yet I have a healthy, normal life and am able to enjoy and participate in sports. I urge all you parents to cooperate with schools and volunteer organizations in the program for detecting diabetes. Well, thank you, Hamblin Richardson, for your very sincere message. We all wish you the very best of luck. Now, now we're going to turn the tables. The quiz kids will ask the questions, and uh, you four sports experts will be on the spot. I'm going to call back our four guests and give you quiz kids a chance to turn the tables and ask them some questions. You may direct a question to any one of them and ask a question about any of the sports they represent. Who would like to start this off? Pat? Well, Mr. Pavlonis, I wonder if you'd bend down to the microphone. and uh, <laughs> I'd like to know how the coming basketball season shapes up insofar as DePaul University is concerned. Well, my personal opinion is a different thing than what we think we'll do, but I think we'll have a... Full season of all wins and no losses. Well, that'll be great. <laughs> Although, we, we should have a good team this year. Really shaping up very well. well. I sure hope uh, so. All right, now who's next? Howard? Well, Andy, I'd like to know, in your career, what player plays gave you the biggest thrill? Well, I think uh, the biggest thrill I ever got was this past summer in Chicago and playing the All-Star game against the American Leaguers, and I made that great catch against uh, Tommy Hennick of the New York Yankees and helped uh, save the game for the National League team this year. All right, Howard, I guess that takes care of your yes. question. And, uh, Joel? Well, my question is directed at the tennis champion. Uh, I would like to know how much uh, daily practice it really takes to become a uh, player. Well, a good player, not quite as good as him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to get a couple hours of practice a day about uh, four or five times a week. If you play every day, you kind of lose your edge and you're not quite as keen. But a couple hours, four or five times, four or five days a week, plenty. Sally Ann? I'd like to ask uh, Andy Pascal my question. Uh, what does the catcher say when he whispers to the pitcher? <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't say too much. He just goes out there and tells the pitcher to just take it easy and relax because when he usually goes out there, he's in a tight situation. So he just 
goes out to him, tell him, well, just take it easy, we'll work, we'll get out of this, and that's about all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and Frankie has his hand up. Well, this is for the tennis player, and why does love me nothing in tennis? <laughs> I can give you a very scientific answer for it. The French word for egg is something like oeuf or something. And uh, they originally, and when they scored tennis, they draw the sign for zero, and it looks like an egg. And so they called it a goose egg or something, and the French word is oeuf or love or something. And so the Englishman uh, changed the word around a little bit and changed it from oeuf to love, and so now they call it love and zero. from our uh, football uh, star who has good football uh, question that they want to pose uh, insofar as Clint Frank is concerned. Pat? Well, uh, we all know that Mr. Frank was a great quarterback and uh, nowadays we have lots of great quarterbacks, Johnny Blue Jack of the Bears and lots of others. Uh, Mr. Frank, what makes a great quarterback? What does he have to have? He has to have everything Johnny Blue Jack has, I think is a pretty good answer. Uh, it's hard to, to put it down to any specific uh, quality. Uh, he should, uh, first of all, be brainy, uh, generally be a good passer and a fair runner. But the most important requisite is to be able to call the right signals at the right time. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> well, say, this is a lot of fun. And look, we've got more hands up here. Sally Ann? Well, I'd like to ask him uh, what happened to Notre Dame this year. <laughs> John Carmichael of the Daily News has uh, written uh, four or five articles on that. I think it was generally a matter of... of uh, not as good material this year as they have had in previous years. All right, and Howard? Well, I'd like to ask Mr. Frank, who do you think was the all-time greatest T-formation quarterback? <laughs> no, uh, I think Johnny Lujak probably is, is certainly one of the greatest. Uh, all right, Clint, and uh, I think Joel has a question to ask. Yes, I, I uh, read, I think, a couple of years back about a uh, quarterback at Missouri whose uh, one of his principal assets was uh, his brains. He always uh, seemed to outsmart his opponents. So I was wondering, is there ever such a case where you get a quarterback who has very little brawn but uh, is a good quarterback just because he outsmarts the uh, opponent? In well, there, such are, a there are a number of cases such as that. I... Uh, I believe uh, one comes to mind was uh, Eddie LeBaron. Uh, I don't remember if Eddie LeBaron of the College of Pacific was a quarterback. I, yes, I'm quite was. certain he was. And he was a little fellow, 150 pounds, and uh, well, you may remember what he did in the All-Star game to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Well, let's see. Now, Frankie, little Frankie has his hand up again. How about it, Frankie? What's your... Oh, Mr. Fr Frank, um, do you know um, <laughs> if little boys should start playing football in grammar school? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to take this young Frankie home with me for the first point. I think so, yes. I don't think it... I think it's a good thing to start early. All right, and Howard... Well, I'd like to ask the basketball champion, this year, which do you think is the best collegiate basketball team? Well, from my own personal experience, I'd say CCNY will have the best team in the nation this year. Thank you. Okay, well, say, that was all very, very interesting, and I'm sure much obliged to you boys for coming up this afternoon. Everybody, I'm sure, enjoyed meeting you in person. Thanks so much.
kids, uh, here's a question uh, which comes from May Hall of Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Yeah, little Frankie dropped his hat there. If uh, Mr. Outside told the galloping ghost to hurry up, what football personalities were these nicknames referred to? Patrick? Well, Mr. Outside was Glenn Davis of Army. Right. And the uh, galloping ghost, of course, was Red Grange Red from of Illinois. And... Uh, what was the other one? Hurry up. Hurry up, uh, Yost. Fielding Yost. Fielding Yost, Michigan. right, on all three counts. Now, let's see. Uh-oh, there's a bell. Yes. <laughs> well, of course, that means that class is over for today. Well, kids, as usual, you will each receive a $100 savings bond from the makers of Alka-Seltzer to help you with your future education. And again, I want to thank the gentleman who helped us out with our parade of uh, sports experts uh, this afternoon, and I hope we can do this again real soon. By the way, friends, next week the Quiz Kids will compete with five prominent members of Rotary International. Our board of Rotarians is especially outstanding. It includes the minister of the famous Chicago Temple, the First Methodist Church, the Secretary of Rotary International, the Director of the Chicago Crime Commission, a Rotary Foundation Fellow from Argentina, and the Treasurer of Rotary International. I know you don't want to miss this entertaining contest between the quiz kids and these representatives of Rotary International, so plan to be with us, won't you? Fine. So until next Sunday, this is Joe Kelly dismissing the quiz kids. Goodbye, kids. Bye, Mr. Bye. Kelly. Mr. Kelly. Listen to the Quiz Kids coast to coast every Sunday afternoon and see and hear Alka-Seltzer's Quiz Kids television show on NBC. Consult your local newspaper for time and station. This is Bob Murphy speaking. Hear Theater Guild tonight and don't miss the big show today on NBC. And that was The Quiz Kids, as originally heard on NBC November 12th, 1950. A regular Sunday staple for households all over the country. The Whiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball, the man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, 
war, he was the Oklahoma kid. And Cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke. And me, I always loved Willie Mann. Those were the days. Well, now it's the 80s, and bread is the greatest. And Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Grease and Barry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Perry, Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt, and Vita Blue. If Cooper's town is calling, it's no fluke, they'll be with Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. remember that song? That was by Terry Cashman, and it was called Talking Baseball. And it was, uh, he wrote it and produced it in the 80s, looking back on the players from the 50s and, and 60s. And what's funny about it is now we're looking back on some of the players that were contemporary when he wrote that from the 80s, and we're looking at them nostalgically, people like Rod Carew and Steve Garvey and uh, uh, Dan Quisenberry, uh, he he mentioned several. I, I I know I'm missing a bunch, and I don't mean to slide anybody, but that's uh, that's really great. In a in a bit of marketing genius, I think he did a version of that song, where he changed the lyrics for just about every team in Major League Baseball, and of course people went out and bought it up because he would incorporate uh, names of the local teams. I know uh, when I was a kid, my hero was Duke Snyder. I've often said that uh, they used to talk about how the kids in Brooklyn would cry because their team was taken away from them. Well, maybe that was true, but there was an awful lot of kids out in Southern California that got Major League Baseball for the first time, and they were pretty darn excited, and I was one of them. All right, we're going to finish things up with an episode of Inner Sanctum, which was first broadcast on CBS uh, March 21st, 1949. They don't really give you any cast information on this one. And to be honest, I have not listened to this one all the way through. I just kind of went in and cleaned it up, but I have not listened to the story. I hope it's a good one. I know a lot of people have requested that we play more Inner Sanctum. A lot of you people like these spooky things, so I hope you enjoy it. Good evening, friends. This is your host to welcome you through the creaking door into the inner sanctum. 
Say, let me tell you about the new soap opera I heard the other morning. It's a slippery little stanza called John's Other Coffin. This program poses the question, can a murderous husband be happy with the spirit of his dead wife? <laughs> it seems everything went fine with his marriage till one night at dinner his wife asked him to pass the knife, which he did, right through her. <laughs> then he hit her body in the town bell. That's where he made a big mistake. Because the next morning she told on him. <laughs> Tonight's inner sanctum mystery, Only the Dead Die Twice, was written by Ed Adamson and Bob Sloan and stars Larry Haynes in the role of Johnny with Alice Reinhardt as Vera. Well, folks, sit right down and make yourselves uncomfortable. If you don't see any murder you want, just ask for it. Ready for tonight's cataleptic continuity? Okay, then. Let's get to Johnny Bryce as he tells his story. It all started only four hours ago when I put the wagon away for the night. Ask me how I took a job like that, driving the hearse? Well, ask me and I'll tell you I needed a job. Any kind. But it's a job you never get used to. All the time there's that box riding in back of you. Four hours ago, I got out of the wagon and started to head for Joe's grill. But I never got to Joe's. Hello. She was standing at the door. Even in the bad light of the garage, she did things to a dress that knocked your eyes out. So I picked up my eyes and looked again. I've been waiting for you. All your life? An hour of it anyway, Johnny. Hey, you know my name. Mm-hmm. Johnny Bryce. I know a lot about you. That puts you one up on me. <laughs> I'm Vera Craig. I've got something that might interest you, Johnny. Vera, you've got plenty that interests me. I've got a thousand dollars. See? Hey, that stuff almost looks real. It is real, and it's all yours, Johnny. All you have to do for it is use that hearse. What? There's a body I want you to take away. Whose body? Alex. And uh, who is Alec? My husband. He's in our apartment. It's 23 Grove Street. Well, the parlor handles the orders. Why didn't you call them? I couldn't. Why not? My husband has been murdered. Oh. Then you call the cops. The cops like to know about things like that. I can't call the police. You see, I murdered Alec. You killed him? Yeah. I murdered my husband. You say that like you say, pass me the sugar. It wasn't hard. He was rotten mean. I'm not sorry. I've got to get rid of the body. All you have to do, Johnny, is to get it out of the apartment and bury it. Take it out? A, d a dead body? That should be easy enough for you. Uh-uh. I'm not touching anything dead. But you're used to death. It's around you all the time. Yeah, it's around me. That's the trouble. You think I like it? You won't do it for me. Not for anybody. Not even for this. I told you. Not even for a thousand dollars. A thousand, Johnny. 
Ten $100 bills, see? Look, will you stop sticking that toe under my nose? You can do a lot with a thousand dollars, Johnny. Will you stop it? Think of what a thousand can do for you, Johnny. You say you don't like your job. I hate it. And you won't have to be sick with your work anymore. You can get away from it forever. Forever? This'll be the last time you'll have to drive a hearse. All you have to do is get rid of Alec's body. A thousand dollars all for you. It'll free you, Johnny. What do you say? One thousand bucks. What do you think I say? I drove the wagon to the address Vera gave me and parked it in the side alley. The house was one of those broken-down brownstones. The halls were dingy and creepy. I was trying to find the door with the name Craig on it. The hall was so dark I didn't see him standing there. You looking for something, mister? What? Yeah, what's the matter, I scare you. What are you doing here? And that's just what I was going to ask you. I don't like people sneaking around these halls. I'm the super. Oh, oh, super. Yeah, what do you want here? Uh, nothing. Well, then what are you looking at the doors for? I've been following you. Well, I'm uh, trying to find a friend's apartment. Yeah, who's your friend? I can tell you the apartment. Uh, no, thanks. Uh, you don't have to bother. I can find it. Look, mister, I don't like the way you act. Maybe I should call a cop. Cop? Yeah, you heard me. Oh, look, you don't have to call a cop. I told you, I'm looking for a friend. Yeah, but he still didn't tell me your friend's name. Okay. Okay, uh, he's Alec Craig. Oh, Mr. Craig, huh? Well, why didn't you say so? That makes things different. Mr. Craig's apartment's up on the next floor. Rear of the hall. Uh, rear of the hall. Thanks. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah? What, what is it? No use going up there. Mr. Craig ain't home. But I have... Yeah, gonna... he ain't home. He ain't been home all evening. If he was home, I'd have seen him come in, sure. Okay, then I'll talk to Mrs. Craig instead. Missy, you can't do that, mister. He ain't married. There ain't no Mrs. Craig. What kind of a gag was this? The super said there wasn't any Mrs. Craig. Then who was Vera? Well, after the super walked away, I went upstairs. The door to Craig's apartment was part open. I pushed it the rest of the way and walked in. The living room was as cold and gloomy as a morgue. I wanted to turn and go out, but something kept pulling me. Ask me and I'll tell you it was death. You couldn't see it, but you knew it was there and you couldn't make it let go of you. It pulled me right through to the next room. Alec Craig was there, just as Vera said. On his white shirt, there was a big red circle. And on the floor next to him, a carving knife. Stained with the same red. I walked out of the room, a thousand bucks and no thousand bucks. I couldn't touch him, not for a million. I got to the front door and opened it. Hello. He was standing there in the hall right in front of the door. A big guy in a black hat and coat. I was just going to ring the bell. My name's Steve Maxton, detective, first grade, 16th precinct. You Alec Craig? Uh, no, no, I'm a friend of Craig's. Oh, I want to see Craig. Well, he's, uh, he's not home. Who are you? Johnny Bryce. You're sure Bryce that Craig isn't home? Well, I just told you he wasn't. Nobody's in there. Okay, then suppose you come inside with me. We'll wait for Craig. Well, he, he's not coming back tonight. Go on, do like I tell you. Get inside. What is this? What do you want with me? I just got a call to get over here. The guy who called said there was a murder. Uh, murder? That's right. He said that Alec Craig was here in his apartment. Dead. 
If I had gotten out of that apartment a minute before, this never would have happened to me. But now I was stuck. I warn you, Bryce, don't try any phony moves. Oh, you got this wrong, Maxton. Somebody's playing a gag on Maybe. You. Craig isn't here. You can see nobody's here. We'll look in the next room. There wasn't a thing I could do. When we went into the room where Craig was, I kept my eyes straight ahead. I didn't want to look down and see him again. Yeah, I guess you were right, Bryce. Somebody was playing a gag on me. It wasn't possible. Like, I couldn't believe it. There wasn't a body on the floor. There wasn't a murder knife. There wasn't a single trace of death. Baxter went out and left me there alone. I stood right on the spot where Craig's dead body had been. My head spinned around like one of those kids' tops that makes that whirling sound. The sound was my own voice asking myself a hundred questions, questions that didn't have any answers, and the whirling sound got worse and worse. And all of a sudden, it stopped. Hello, Johnny. Vera. What's the matter, Johnny? Aren't you glad to see me? How'd you get here, Vera? How'd you get into that closet? There's a back entrance to the apartment. Look, what's going on here? There was a body right here on the floor. I saw it with my own eyes. Yes, Johnny, you saw Alec's body. I put it in the closet to save you. If that Detective Maxton had found it, then you'd be in trouble, wouldn't you? You said Craig was your husband. He was. You're a liar. The super told me Craig wasn't married. He wasn't your husband, was he? Was he? All right, he wasn't. Why'd you lie to me? Because I wanted to make sure you'd help me. What kind of a game are you playing? When I told you I killed Craig, that was the truth. Why'd you kill him? Because he deserved to die. He was blackmailing me. Johnny, you've got to get him out of here quickly. Oh, no. I'll meet you out at Mount Crescent Cemetery. All you have to do is carry him down the back stairs to the hearse. Nothing to it. I'm not going to touch him. I I couldn't put my hands on him. A thousand dollars, Johnny. It's still waiting for you. I don't want the thousand anymore. Here, Johnny, I'll give you half of it now. No. When you're finished out at the cemetery, you'll get the rest. No, I said... Here, take the five hundred. I told you, no. Now, look what you've done. You'll only have to pick it up. I'm not going to pick it up. I don't want any part of your lousy dough. Keep it. The deal's off. Oh, no, Johnny. The deal isn't off at all. Not a bit. You're going to do exactly as agreed. Money or no money, you've got to. Now. No. What do you mean? You told me you spoke to the super. He saw you here. They'll find Craig's body if you don't take it out. So they'll find it, so what? That Detective Maxton, he knows you now, Johnny. The detective remembers a face. They're good at that. If Craig's body is found, you'll be blamed for the murder. Why, you dirty little... So that's it? Yeah, that's it. And there's nothing you can do about it, Johnny. Absolutely nothing. I carried Alec Craig down the back stairs to the wagon. I always thought the dead were cold and stiff. But they're not that way at all. Craig hung over my shoulder like a warm rag doll. And with each step down those dark stairs, he bounced. And his face touched mine. With each step, a scream broke loose down deep inside of me. And I had to bite my tongue to keep the scream from coming out. I finally got him to the wagon. I dropped him into the box. Then I closed the lid. He was 
was there in the box, but I could still feel his weight on my shoulder. His face brushing against mine. I shut the back door and walked to the front of the wagon. Where are you going, what? Bryce? Max. I said, where are you going? Uh, what, what are you doing here? You still didn't answer my question. Uh, to the garage. I'm uh, putting the wagon away for the night. You didn't tell me you drove a hearse. You didn't ask me. Didn't I? No. Well, then I guess I didn't ask. I was waiting out front. You didn't come out that way. Oh, well, there are back stairs. I uh, had my wagon parked here in the alley. And why didn't you go in through the back? Huh? You went in the front way. How did you know? Oh, maybe I was outside when you got here. Baxter, who are you? You saw my badge. I'm a cop. What do you got in that hearse? Just a box. What's in the box? Nothing. Sure? It's empty. And you wouldn't mind if I had a look. Let go of my arm. I tell you, the box is empty. What are you so nervous about? Your hand shaking like a leaf. It's a box, I swear. There's nothing in it. That's what you said. What are you going to do? Nothing, Bryce. Like you said, the box is empty. I'll see you around sometime. Soon. Baxton walked out of the alley, got into a car, and drove off. What was the game they were playing, Vera, Maxton? Why did Maxton let me off so easy? I drove the wagon out of the alley and headed for Mount Crescent Cemetery, where Vera was supposed to be waiting. When I got to the river drive, I started to breathe again. Well, I was lucky after all. I steered Maxton off. And I noticed there was a car behind me. I knew who it was, Maxton. That's why he let me off, so he could tell me. I slammed the gas down all the way. He stayed right behind, the same distance. There was a curve ahead. I rounded the turn and then cut off to the side of the road. I killed the lights and waited. Maxton's car whipped by. I got out of there fast and took a back road for my date with Vera at the cemetery. What took you so long, Johnny? Well, Maxton told me, Vera, but I shook him off. What is it, Johnny? For the, the way you look here in the moonlight. What's the matter with the way I look? There's something about you that re- reminds me. Reminds you of what, Johnny? Death. You're not something alive or real. Here's the shovel. You'll dig the grave over there near that tree. No. no I, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. This way, Johnny. Stand where you are, Bryce. Maxton. But you got rid of me, eh? Maxton, believe me. I had nothing to do with it. It was all her idea. I didn't want to come out here. You picked a Lulu this time, Vera. So you found out, Steve. What are you going to do? What is this? A nice yellow Lulu. He tries to pin it all on you. What are you two talking about? So this is the spot where you two have been meeting. Meeting? Cut the act, Bryce. I don't get that. You're wasting your breath. That's not going to save you. I told my wife if I ever caught her... Vera's your wife. No use, Johnny. There's nothing we can do about it now. But I will find out everything about us. Maxton was holding the gun level at Vera. She was right. He'd find out everything. Craig's body was a few yards away in that wagon. I couldn't let Maxton find that body. 
I waited a second. I jumped out. I saw the gun fly out of his hand. I held him by the coat collar. He brought his right all the way around, but he ducked just in time. Then I buried my fist in the middle. I heard the wind go out of him. Then he dropped to the ground. Come on, Phil. Let's get out of here. No, Johnny. Come be around, so... We can't go yet, Johnny. Don't you see? See what? He'll find you. No matter where you go, he'll find you. I know him. He'll hang for Alec Craig's murder. But I didn't kill Craig. You did. We'll both hang. He'll fix it that way. You won't have a chance. Here. Take this. Gun? It's his. What? What what do you want me to do? Take it, Johnny. You know what you've got to do. Kill him. Kill him? It's the only way out for you now. You've got to kill him. But I can't. I can't. All you do is pull the trigger. It's so simple. Shoved the gun into my hand. The metal of it burned my palm like a hot poker. Hurry up, Johnny. Shoot. I couldn't lift my hand. Hurry, before it's too late. She picked up my hand and aimed the gun at him. Before it's too late, Johnny. Madsen was laying in the moonlight, quiet and still. I closed my eyes against the sight of him. Then I felt her finger press mine. I buried Maxton. All the time I shoveled, Vera stood there watching. That same devil smile on his face. After I dug another grave, I went back to the wagon to get Craig's body. I opened the little box and reached it. Vera! I sat there in the dark of the wagon, my, my brain not believing what my hands touched. The insides of the empty box. Vera! didn't come. I got out of the wagon and started for the grave. Vera! Vera, he's not here, the fox! Vera's gone, Bryce. What? It was Craig. Alec Craig. Standing right there in the pass in front of me. She's gone, Bryce. Hey, you're, you're dead. I put you in the box. You're dead. Yeah, Bryce, touch my hand. No, stay away from me. Touch me, Bryce. Feel how dead I am. Don't, don't, don't you come in. <laughs> You don't have to be afraid, Bryce. I'm not dead, not really. You are, you are. She killed you. That that blood on your shirt, that's where the knife... blood? Yes, I admit it is realistic. But it's only a combination of red ink and grease. But it did get the effect Vera and I wanted. You really thought I was dead. (laughs) You're such a chump, Bryce. Why did you do this to me? Why me? We had to get her husband out of the way. We wanted him dead, but only a chump commits murder. A chump you can buy with a thousand dollars or with fear. <laughs> You're having a good time, okay? Oh, terrific. You're not going to get away with this. No? What are you going to do about it, Bryce? Go to the police? Tell them the story? Sure. You do that. Tell them how you held the murder gun, how your fingers squeezed the trigger. She made me Tell do it. that to the police, Bryce. Tell them. And let me know what they say. I'll, uh. <laughs> I'll be waiting to hear about it. He walked down the path, laughing at me. Me, the prize chump of them all. All this chump had one idea. One good idea that was really going to kill him. I started the wagon and headed it down the path. I caught Craig in my headlights. He turned. That hyena's smile was still on him. Then when he saw what I was going to do, the laugh dropped off his face. He jumped to the side of the path and ran up a hill. I drove right up after him. He twisted and turned, but I didn't let him out of the headlights. He was just getting to the tomb at the top of the hill when I stepped down all the way. Oh, 
took you so long. Hello, Vera. Johnny. What's the matter? Aren't you glad to see me? What are you? What are you doing here? We'll talk about it inside. There's nothing to talk I about. I said I'm coming in. Get out of here. It's no way to treat an old friend. Craig told me all about it. How you framed me into the murder. Of course he told you. It was all my idea. Cute idea. Told you before, there's nothing we have to talk about it, so you might as well leave. You're expecting Craig, is that right, Vera? None of your business now. Either you get out... Craig won't be here. What? He couldn't make it, Vera. On account of he's dead. (laughs) That's right, good and dead. (laughs) You should have heard him scream when the wagon hit him. You should have heard him, Vera. You're lying. You wouldn't do a thing like that. You're not a murderer. Sure I am, Vera. You made me a murderer. You remember this gun, don't you, Vera? Johnny, listen. All you do is pull the trigger. It's so simple, remember? Johnny, that that, that thousand dollars. Oh, yeah. I had a thousand. This is where I came in. You can have it now. You can do a lot with a thousand bucks. Right, Johnny. That's right. You can get away from everything you hate. You won't have to be near death anymore. You can be free of it forever. The phone. What are you... The thousand. So all there, Vera? Yes, Johnny, yes, all of it, and it's yours now. You, you've earned uh, it. Operator. I... The police. Police? Johnny, what are you doing? Why are you calling... Hello? Me? My name's Johnny Bryce. I want to report a murder. Oh, you crazy fool. They'll hang you. The one who was killed? Her name is Vera Max. No. The address is 23 Grove Street. The killer? Sure. His name is Johnny Bryce. No, t- yeah, that's right, me. Oh, I'll be waiting right here for you. Johnny, Johnny, don't do it, please. You, you can have a thousand. Even more, three thousand, Johnny. Five, listen, Johnny. Even, even more than five. I'll get you as much as you want. Anything, anything. Johnny, stop. see our stories finish. Plenty of corpses and no remorses. Well, Johnny finally got the drop on Vera. But you should see the drop the hangman got on Johnny. Say, there's a moral in tonight's tangy little tidbit. It comes from the grave works of the funeral philosopher, Wormley Digger, author of One Hearst Town. Now, how's it go? Oh, yes. When you plant a corpse... Be prepared for anything. You can never tell what might come up. <laughs> Good night. Pleasant dreams. Hmm? Inner Sanctum was heard in the United States over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, and has been rebroadcast for servicemen and women overseas through the facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education.
All right, for you Inner Sanctum fans, that was Inner Sanctum from March 31st, or 21st, excuse me, March 21st, 1949. It was heard on CBS, and it was entitled, Only the Dead Die Twice. That's going to wrap things up for the Old Time Radio Grab Bag Number 9. We'll be back on Monday for our podcast with uh, an Old Time Radio comedy. On Tuesday, we'll have a drama, Wednesday, a mystery. And on Thursday, we will have a, uh, a Western, like we always do. And then, of course, on the weekend, on Sundays, we always play an archive show on the podcast. All right. We look forward to seeing you soon. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. <laughs>